So what we have planned today is Sam and I have been doing a, oh, hello from Morocco, Travis. We've been doing some traveling for some conferences. We've seen some interesting things um, at each of those conferences, some trends, what's going on. We're going to rehash maybe what we did and saw at some of those conferences and then dive into maybe some, we'll, we'll call it a bit or a segment. I don't know what you want to call it, Sam. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, rip from the headlines. What are the trends that we're seeing in the headlines and are they really trending and taking a look at some of the taste wise data. So we'll maybe give it a few more minutes before we totally rip into this as people get situated high from Morocco and Costa Rica. Well, I want to go to Morocco. I want to go to all these places. Yeah. Right. Costa Rica too. I haven't been. Um, and you let know, me. Eveland and Costa Rica both start with a C. <laughs> yeah. Chicago's a little more close, Allison. You're right. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of conferences, you went to a conference in Poland, I think, Sam. No, I went to go see Beyonce in Poland. Yeah, that's that's a conference. That's a conference. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very informative conference. I learned a lot about, you know, equality and rights. Now, what a what an awesome awesome conference to go to. <laughs> so let's do this. I think everybody's yeah, here. Very trendy, yeah. Very trendy, yeah, for sure, right? I'm now trying to get Taylor Swift tickets, but I unfortunately <laughs> either don't have $30,000 um, or know somebody who, yeah, works for Ticketmaster, so. Yeah, it might be tough to try to expense that one. <laughs> We're going to primarily be talking about U.S. trends, but we do have coverage in nine countries. And, you know, if you have ideas for what you want to see, maybe future taste-wise or what we what topics you want covered, feel free to put them in the chat. We're always happy to take, you know, suggestions or if there's a country that we do have coverage in that we can provide some data on, we'd be yeah. happy to. We do have Canadian data, Audrey. Yeah. And I know that Canadians hate it when we just, but I feel like everyone goes, just use the U.S. data as a proxy. It's like, it's a different no. place. No, they so pronounce Z instead of Z. Yeah. All right. Let's just uh, make sure that, Sam, can you see my screen okay? It's important. For... I, I can. Awesome. So. Sam and I have have introduced ourselves and let's get into the topic at hand and uh, the banter and um, we'll start talking about what we're doing. So what's where where were we in quarter two, quarter three? This is, you know, Sam and I were at a couple different conferences. So maybe I'll start first with the, the two places that I've been and then Sam, if you want to cover IFTA. So I was at IFT first, which was in Chicago, speaking of Chicago, which is really a food flavor technology conference. And I think it was really cool. TasteWise had a booth there. We saw a lot of our partners and it was really cool to see some of our material um, in the wild in some of the brochures and marketing material we saw out there with our partners. The big focus was on flavors. Um, I think experiences for sure. I think as a lot of flavor houses are developing new ingredients and flavors, they're trying to add just more than, hey, this tastes great. They want to do two things. They want to add data to that story and then they want to show it in an illustrative way of how that can be experienced. So places like Flavorsome, Jividon, we saw some really cool things uh, at IFT. And then just recently, I actually presented yesterday at the IFMA Sales and Marketing Conference, which was virtual. I didn't have to do any travel for that one, which was an, an easy commute to my home office. But um, you know, I was able to speak on a panel. I, I moderated the panel with Nestle Professional, Floor Veldhoven, and um, Tess, who's the, the director managing uh, the North American uh, area within uh, Jividon. And, you know, they were really talking about how AI and how they're implementing it in their front end innovation process. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a, the following slides here. But um, it was really interesting because I think every, every company is at their own, um, I don't know, their, their own walk or crawl, walk, run in embracing AI and incorporating it. 
it's definitely here. It's just where are you at and how you're utilizing it. So it was cool to, to hear them talking, give their perspective. Um, Sam, if you want to give us some background on IFTA. Yeah, we'll go into it more in a minute. But I, um, yeah, I went to IFTA, which is the International Food Service Distributors Association um, conference. And it was, it was actually, it was from a taste-wise side of the first time going, um, even though we work with many distribution companies, it was fascinating to kind of see this side of the food industry um, that like so publicly has gone through so much in the past couple of years, right? Like literally every single person is aware of the challenges that distribution has faced um, to see them try to kind of rechart the next steps. Um, and we'll talk a bit about like what that means in just a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think what's cool about IFTA and IFMA is like we're, we're part of that community. We're allied members. And so I think we're trying to support, to your point, support them in, in utilizing data to make smarter, faster, better decisions. And it's great to, that we can contribute to that community and then also learn from those communities as well. So this was uh, the session that I mentioned with Floor and Tess uh, yesterday. I think it's actually still going on today. And what I like to talk about is, is what I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, every company and every brand is kind of in this uh, area of embracing AI. And I think there, we move from, what is this thing that people are talking about to it's here, we're using it, how are we using it? And, you know, this is a, you know, it used to be just very progressive brands that are embracing it. Now it's table stakes. Every brand has to have it. I mean, if we look at some of the, the national restaurant chains, like Panera and Chipotle, they're using AI to streamline food prep and ordering and even labor. So, you know, maybe your, your drive-through window is packed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so in order to schedule correctly, you add maybe an extra person to that shift or assign them to the delivery window so that you can get food out faster on those days. And AI is used to identify those patterns and then provide recommendations. And that's the back of the house. And we look at the front of the house. Wendy's is also testing out. I mean, I think we all see the kiosk. I don't know if you've ever ordered through the kiosk at a, at a quick service restaurant, Sam, but it usually like provides recommendations. And in this case, yep. you know, with the drive-through it's, Hey, what you're, you're actually talking to a chat bot, you know, verbally, and they have to know the difference that the JBQ means junior bacon cheeseburger. So it's getting smarter and smarter. Nice. Were you going to say something there, Sam? No, no. I just like, I, next time I'm in the U S I'm going to go drive through a Wendy's and I wonder if it will take into the fact that everyone yells <laughs> at the drive through thing, even though apparently you don't have to, but I will always just yell in hopes they hear me better. Or if they just order something that's totally not on the menu. Um, yeah, right. Every bag of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, so we've talked about the back of the house, the front of the house. And then this case in Australia, this was like two days ago, it was talked about um, the an entire restaurant concept using AI, right? From the decor to the food, it has Blade Runner vibes for me. Um, but, yeah. uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how people are leveraging this just in different ways. And, and we think about it in terms of the restaurant industry, but also consumers in our daily lives, you know, the algorithm, quote unquote, you know, that's effectively AI. It's serving us ads based on our preferences, based on things that, you know, we're engaging with online. And so, you know, whether we know it or not, we have a lot of engagement with AI in our everyday lives. One of the ways that a provider like TasteWise uh, gives help and, and insight with AI is looking at Instagram posts. So we talked about all those ads and all those different influencers that are posting about food all day, every day. You know, we take apart those 200 million posts and 75 billion interactions, and we can break each single one apart based on, hey, is this a mom posting it? Is this Noki, which is a part of a larger 
uh, pasta category, right? 250 different types of pasta. There, there might even be more than that. Um, but being able to identify those, and that's one post of 200 million posts. So it would take a lot of people with calculators to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> but but TasteWise does that because, you know, we have uh, an algorithms and an AI that's focused on the food and beverage industry specifically. Can I add something to that real fast? I Please. was thinking about this before. Think of, apparently this is like a couples game that couples therapists recommend where you try <laughs> to, um, this is how my morning went. You try to like make the connection of everything in your mind, right? So like someone says creamy and you think Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and what's, I've started, I've worked with AI for almost 10 years, which I sometimes think is both good and bad because now that everyone knows what AI is, most of my day is actually spent helping people understand that what they think about AI isn't actually AI. But <laughs> what algorithms like this try to do and, and have been amazing at accomplishing is all of the different ways that your brain connects different things together is to understand that. So that when you say, okay, I'm talking about moms, we can understand what are moms eating, right? What do, why do moms eat? Where are they doing it? Who are they doing it with? Which recipe do they look at? Which restaurants do they go to? It's things that in your brain, all those different connections that you understand that often in say a survey or a focus group, people can't articulate. They, they, they don't even know they have those connections. And yeah. it lets us analyze all of that that goes within your brain so that we can actually understand like, literally what people actually want in to to eat and why they do so rather than like what they just tell us because they think they've made that connection in their head and i think we'll we'll talk about some of these trends um later on in the deck but i think you're absolutely right it's it's knowing how do you find out how to how to know what you don't know um yep. and then on top of that you know we talk about generative ai you know chat gpt is one that everyone's probably familiar with but this idea that using these you know uh, large language models and machine learning to then create something with generative AI that's totally new. All these photos are created by AI. So, you know, you type in a prompt and it's trained on all of this data to create something brand new. Right? What'd you say, Sam? A fun Fetty martini? Yeah, I'm in. I'm it's in, a little, right? it's, it's, a, it's probably a little early for Cleveland time, but Tel Aviv, you might be right on track. Sometime in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's kind of what we talked about it at the IFMA uh, virtual sales marketing conference. And then this is just a picture of our fun and awesome team um, at IFT. We had the popcorn machine going and saw a lot of really cool brands there um, and got to talk to a lot of people. And I think the conversation in years past maybe even more about automation. And, you know, uh, again, we'll say it again, artificial intelligence seemed to be the top of everyone's mind. We had a lot of people come through and, um, if, if you're playing a drinking game with this webinar on the word AI, uh, my recommendation would be don't. Don't. <laughs> um, just pick a different type of drink, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I thought to talk briefly actually about IFTA. And um, yeah, as Ian mentioned, we're, we're, we're parts of both IFTA as well as, um, or use a Funfetti cocktail. Yeah, that's a good idea, Miriam. Um, I wanted to post this picture because never in my life have I ever stayed at a Ritz-Carlton. Um, and it was really just a lovely experience. So if you ever get the chance, always try to find a conference um, that's located at a really nice, fancy hotel um, and make your office pay for it. <laughs> we'll go to the next slide. It, um, 
There yeah. were actually a few big takeaways from, <laughs> great idea, right? There's a few big takeaways, I would say, from, from this conference. I know that we've spoken so much about AI. If to, it was maybe about 200 or so um, um, people in the room. And on kind of on the end of the first day, the host said, how many of you are currently using AI? And it's interesting because maybe about 10% or so um, of the individuals sitting in that room raised their hands. And it got me thinking on a few levels. It's like, one, you use AI and like Netflix is AI based, right? Yeah. Um, what you watch yeah, on TV, the ads you get served, so many things that you do in your personal life and so many systems that you use in general in, in your professional life are increasingly rooted in AI. Um, sometimes people don't even actually know that they're using this type of technology. Um, but it was also actually very surprising that like such a small percentage of the distribution world, it, some people weren't even really aware of it. They were like, well, I've kind of heard of this. Um, and I thought like we definitely, when we, when we talk to distribution and, and given all the challenges they've had in the past few years, like a lot of the solutions rest in adopting this type of technology. And then what we realized was figuring out like, why aren't teams actually doing this? Um, and what the conclusion was, and it resonated in a lot of ways is because distribution was so upended by COVID and coronavirus and getting um, employees and um, to even stay into work and health regulations. And by the way, the attendees of this conference were a lot of distribution companies um, and a lot of teams that work in say marketing and sales. Um, they're because they couldn't even get the workers, all their resource and effort went into just like basically human power. Yeah. Um, and now a lot of what they're focusing on is saying, listen, like we're a real outdated industry. And I say this with love of distribution, but like, and many of you know this still, if you're an operator and you want to get something, um, from your, you know, from your distribution partner, you like fax them or you text them. And it's like, why are we, why do we work this way? So there was kind of this consensus of like the future going forward needs to be technologically driven in an industry that hasn't been so. Um, a few of the distributors actually were starting to onboard, say like um, data, um, kind of data leads and tech leads and information, you know, CIO type um, roles to really start to bring this type of information and technology into their organization. So if you come from the distribution side, happy to continue this discussion. Um, but like in my multiple years of working with the food and beverage space, and in my 10 plus years of working with um, AI, I think actually the distributors almost even more so than local government, which I worked with for about a year, are behind on kind of adopting this type of technology. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, there's AI comes with the trepidation and fear of, you know, is this going to replace our jobs? And I think Tess made a really good point from Jividon um, in our call in, in the call yesterday that I had, which was, you know, it's not that it's replacing people, but people that don't use AI might get replaced. And you think about all the early adopters of cell phones or email, you know, those people master the technology early and use it as a as leverage to either further their career and also to, you know. At the same time, in a parallel path, you know, improve the work of the, of their brand and the company that they work for. Yeah. So that's talking conferences, what we're seeing out there in the industry, kind of from a, a high level trend perspective related to technology. 
but wanted to maybe get a little closer in and highlight some of the trends that we're seeing. We'll, we'll call it the, for, the phone to fork movement, right? Where trends really have been democratized. They don't just happen on restaurant menus, but they happen all over the place because of the internet. Everyone has a platform. They can share things. And like Sam was talking about, you know, the algorithms are suggesting things for us all the time and we're unaware of it. And so, you know, we're really eating through the phone these days. So the idea of this fast moving consumer data, it's continuing to accelerate. So how do we catch up with it? And let's see some of those examples. Actually, someone was like recently busted, maybe like two months ago, trying to sneak in, in a couple months ago. Yeah. Trying to sneak an entire suitcase of fruit roll-ups into Israel and border control stopped him being like, why are you smuggling $2,000 worth of fruit roll-ups? Maybe it was to make fruit roll-up ice cream. <laughs> right? And then I realized when I came back from the Snacks and Sweets Conference after NRA in May from Chicago with a whole suitcase full of candy, and I thought, this is probably not a good thing, but, you know, somehow made well, it past. Well, I think, I think for maybe those in the audience, you know, they see something like this. They see some headlines, and they're like, what was actually going on here? Um, yeah. And I think I think the same thing. And then I looked into our data and, you know, I think a lot of times we're trying to understand a fad versus a trend. And so with our data, what we're able to see is on the social side of things, we see this big spike and social data is typically very volatile. And so we see this big spike and then it comes down. So in my mind, you know, we looked at the menu data, we looked at the, the recipe data sources. It doesn't look like it's trending. This does seem like a fad, but at the end of the day, I do think that, you know, there are brands that can understand and utilize this and say, hey, look, maybe there's inspiration from this trend that we can then incorporate into our menu or into our retail offering. What about this one? What do you think about cottage cheese? <laughs> now, listen, you're like, for those of you that aren't so familiar with Israeli food, which I understand why you wouldn't be, Israeli cottage cheese is like a national symbol. Like Israelis went to, we had a protest in 2011 that they literally called the cottage cheese protest because so many people took to the streets given the rise of the price of cottage cheese, but our cottage cheese has very different regulations than in the US, so it only lasts like a week, and it's the greatest thing you'll ever eat. Um, well, uh, I think in the US, of Israeli cottage cheese. it sounds like it never left Israel. It sounds like it never left the spotlight in Israel. It was certainly in the US. It has not been a hasn't been a big yeah no absolutely not and it's so watery in America. You know, and, uh, that we see a lot of people writing about it. We see it popping up. But again, it's one of those things where is this taking off? What's going on with cottage cheese? And so I looked within the dairy category, specifically at all sorts of cheeses. You know, this includes every kind of cheese, you know, this dry jack, cascaval, all these additional kinds of cheeses. And the of the top three, two are cottage. And we see 200% growth um, for both of these. So I, I looking at this data, this makes me think that cottage cheese might be having a moment. Uh, in the U.S. It's low calorie. It's super high in protein. Um, and, and I think the high protein part, but, um, we're, we don't have it uh, in this deck, but you know, there's some other decks that we actually just produced related to the embrace of high protein. If anyone wants to see that report, just let us know. We're happy to send you the report on high protein. What we're saying is it trend, it's trending across the board. People want to incorporate protein in their diet. And, you know, I think cottage cheese is certainly a way to do that. And so we're seeing a lot of those claims that, you know, Sam mentioned this before, right? How do we identify things that people don't even know they're talking about? You know, they just post something like, I love my high protein morning smoothie with XYZ in it. Maybe one of those things is, is cottage cheese. And we can link that together and say, oh, it looks like within high protein diets, we see cottage cheese growing across the board. 
Um, and now we can incorporate this, whether it's, you know, a breakfast menu item, or maybe it's, you know, trying to find, you, you, you already have cottage cheese as part of your retail portfolio, but how do we identify the, the right flavor to pair it with for moms or for a specific audience? Love it. It's so, so good. Any, anything else cheesy to say <laughs> about cottage cheese? No, but I will implore all those in the United States um, that if you ever go outside of the United States to try cottage cheese, especially in Europe, because there's different uh, pasteurization, is that the word, right? Requirements, whole different product. Yeah. But in the meantime, I also continue to take your cottage any day. Thank you. <laughs> so watermelon pizza is another one where uh, I saw this in the data and I'm going, I I've heard of pineapple on pizza, not my thing. But watermelon, like what is going on here? And so we're seeing this as a seasonal, you know, there is a, it's a small percentage, but we're seeing it spike every summer that people are talking about watermelon pizza. There's an article. This was, I think, four days ago. I made this, you know, I put this slide in here yesterday, but it's this new watermelon pizza trend. So I'm like, what is actually going on? So idiot. within our data set, we, we can do is actually drill into what those moments look like. And I was relieved to see that they were not putting chunks of pineapple on a cheese pizza, but that the <laughs> pizza, that the watermelon was the crust of the pizza, which is a really, I think, innovative idea and a fun thing. It's also pretty simple. So if you're a, a you know, menu operator, I would say probably most of this stuff might already be in your pantry. You know, as far as an idea to, to put out there as a seasonal offering, it doesn't seem that far-fetched, right, to, to add uh, watermelon, excuse me, um, to a seasonal menu offering. Do you like pineapple pizza? Yeah, you do. I love it. I know I people I must be like revolted by my desires and taste here today. Thank you. Audrey just also. It's good. It's like, it's sweet. It's kind of nice. I'm not anti. I'm not. There's people that totally are like anti pineapple. I get it, but it's just, it's not for me. Um, if I had to pick between pineapple pizza and watermelon pizza, I'd pick this version of watermelon pizza, I think. <laughs> um, but it's great to be able to see, hey, look, this recipe has a quarter of a million saves. And I think what's great about this is also being able to illustrate the trend. Okay, we saw the data, but what does it actually look like when we're trying to build a story to make a case for why we should have it on our menu or why we should maybe even supply it as part of a recipe when we're trying to promote our, our brand of maybe it's this granola topping on top of the pizza. That's probably something a little bit out of the box. Yep. So just want to ask the audience, what are the trends are we seeing as impactful for 2023? You know, any other trends that you're seeing that are impactful, we're happy to talk about it or any conferences that you're like, hey, TasteWise folks, we'll be here. We'd love to see you. We'd love to hear your feedback on what, what conferences are out there as we're kind of hitting the, the circuit. I can say we place a high extra emphasis on um, conferences in the Bahamas in February and uh, other resort-like destinations. Jonathan Tars, he, he sent us a message about AI. It looks like either you're an expert or you might've written this with AI, um, but it's a very detailed um, detailed response about it. And I think he's totally right. You know, If we think about the tipping point in AI, I think it was the 2000s where we had the computational power and then the internet. So we had the power to build these models and, and algorithms. And then we had the data with the, the internet superhighway to just feed those models. So the now we're kind of at a point where we have ChatGPT, we have things like TasteWise to help us make smarter and faster decisions. The one thing I, I would add that I find myself talking a lot about today is AI needs to be trained on something, right? Um, you need to pick a, a topic 
and you need to select the right data to put into it, right? Anyone can create great graphs and great charts and whatever else and great images. So I think as we as we kind of get into this world of AI, I was actually reading something this morning about um, like discrimination, right? And like DEI challenges when you tell AI to show images of a doctor, right? And that you tend to get white men. Um, and so we have to make sure that like, as we, as we continue to grow in this industry, that we make sure that we're looking at not only the right data source, that we take bias into account and that we train an algorithm to say, hey, listen, there are other types of doctors, right? Or when we talk about food, there's hundreds of types of pastas that go into something. A generative solution doesn't know that. Only a, an algorithm written for and developed for the food world will. It looks like Allison mentioned Berea as a food trend. Um, oh, I, one of my favorites if we're talking about cheese. And I think we're usually seeing that in an indulgent way, but it'd be interesting to see how Berea could be incorporated maybe with a lot of the health or high protein trends that we're seeing out there as a creative, innovative twist. It uh, looks like we have one from Anissa. How do we determine the data is a fit for the trend? Um, that's a great question. How do, how do you determine the data is a fit for the trend? So obviously we can see the data growing in social conversation within our tools. And then we wanna look at that through a number of different lenses. So not just the social growth, but we also wanna look at the menu growth and the recipe growth to determine, is this a fad or is this a trend? So looking at it year over year and seeing that there's some sustained growth across across you know multiple data sources, that kind of lets us know, hey, this trend has some momentum, um, and maybe we can then harness it for you know whether it's a claim, we can apply that claim to our business, or we can take that uh, trending flavor and incorporate it to our portfolio. Yeah. So the tools that we use are our proprietary TasteWise tools to look at these trends. Um, the ones we show today were primarily social trend data right? From Instagram, from TikTok. Those are the trends that we're sourcing. Those are really the, the, the most robust information that we can find um, is on Instagram, I think. And a lot of the other sources are noise. We've talked about, you know, how Twitter's had some issues um, with the amount of data that you can capture with just the, the way the algorithm works there has been changing. Um, Google search is also a lot of noise. So we really focus on Instagram where we get a lot of great data. And then we also capture recipe data and interaction along with, with menu data. Yeah. So three different sources. I think for those of you who have some questions, happy to stay on. Um, there's also, there's, um, you can always check out the TasteWise website or reach out to, to me and Ian. You know, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer additional questions. This and is what we do all day. We look at food trends. It's hard to not be hungry by noon. Yeah. Can you chat more about phone to fork insights? Yeah, absolutely. Phone to fork. Um, I think that's kind of just a euphemism for that. People take pictures and post them. I think, well, I know the stat is 70% of Gen Z and millennials are likely or very likely to post pictures of the food that they eat and drink compared to 40% of the entire population in the United States, um, which gives TasteWise an enormous data set to then get our, our insights from, right? So we're looking at 100 million posts. So really being able to drill into that. And because, you know, instead of, you know, praying before you eat, I think people like take the phone eats first, people take a picture before they eat now. That's kind of the ritual. And, um, and they post it. So that allows us to really get an idea of those really early on uh, trends. So that's kind of the phone to phone to fork movement. I'm, um, I'm going to have to jump in, but thank you for including me in this. Sam, thanks so much for participating and sharing uh, your insights on IFTA, Beyonce. <laughs> it's been great talking with everybody today. 
and thanks for participating in the chat. Um, yeah. We're always happy to tell you more about uh, the trends that we're seeing in our reports that we're creating on a monthly basis. So feel free to reach out. You know, it's been great hanging out with everybody. I love it. Awesome, everybody. Have a great day. All right. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Bye.